Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, Hits K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number nine, dot com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. All right, everybody, we are back, Working Dog Radio. Hope everybody is... Uh doing well and staying safe out there. Um, I am Eric Stambro coming to you from Ohio. Uh, with me always is uh, my co-host Ted Summers. Ted, fresh out of Richmond, can, Richmond Indiana, to uh, back to Tulsa. What's going on back there? Uh, well, I left and it was hot as shit. And I came back and it is now fall. So, <laughs> I don't know. I missed an entire, I like, I missed the transition. I don't know. Uh, it was dew everywhere this morning. I had a hoodie on. So this morning while we were tracking for the first couple of dogs, I was like, this is bullshit. I mean, last time I was out here tracking, which was last week before I went down to Indiana, I mean, it was so hot at 8 a.m. that I was already like, you know, sweat running in my eyes. I mean, it was disgusting. So yeah, other than that, I got uh, five dogs delivery, being delivered this weekend to departments pre, uh, so they can do their bonding period, which I know you love. Uh, before, uh, before we do, <laughs> before we start their handler school. So, um, I've got one experienced handler with a dog that needs an experienced handler. Um, and then I've got the rest of them are, uh, new guys. So yeah. And then we got handler school starting, uh, two weeks after that. So, and then we got, for those of you listening, that little inside joke about the bonding period. <laughs> Was uh, I made a post on a, on a Facebook discussion group about? But I should have I should have named it. Somebody corrected me in there, and they were right. I should have named it. What is your definition of bonding? Um, mm -hmm. And where and what set me off on it was there was a an agency that had posted a video of a dog that um, supposedly came right off the plane, and uh, they for whatever reason were letting the the media live stream his first interaction with the handler 
and they tried to get him on a sleeve and he wouldn't bite the sleeve or anything like Super that. Super good idea. And then, oh yeah. And then in the interview, <laughs> the, hand, the, the new handler said, yeah, I'm just going to spend all this next X amount of time bonding with the dog. But to me, usually, because I saw him letting the dog kiss his kids and his face and everything else, I was like, yeah, I, I think you may have the wrong, the wrong idea. And so many people do. So that was where I just kind of went off. Um, it was poorly worded, but uh, my point was made. That um, I still I still tried to trick somebody into meant to saying that my dog loved me. Uh, that's why he does what he does. But nobody <laughs> fell for it. Although there, a couple people a couple people in there did romanticize the the canine handler canine team dichotomy and relationship. They did you know the way he looks at me and and you'll never know that. And it's like, listen, dude, you you man. just okay, cool, man. If that works for you, cool. One of our um, local dogs we bred and raised, and that fuckface lived in my house for six months, and then at the kennel, and then when he changed handlers, lived with me again. And he tries to kill me when he sees me. I'm like, bitch, I you lived in my, I fed you in my kitchen, and he's like, don't care, I'm not dad now, <laughs> don't care, mm-hmm. <laughs> short hair Malinois, don't care. <laughs> he, yeah, right. they don't give a shit, which is ironically what this episode is about. So, uh, in a way, good. yeah. So, other so note, we're, um, uh, I got, uh, what the hell? Oh, I have a handler school that graduates Wednesday. Oh, uh, take the state it? certification. Uh, yeah. So technically <laughs> they're technically they graduate tomorrow. Um, and then they take their state certification on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I'm going out of town on a vacation and coming back and I have a kennel full of green dogs. So the rest of the fall will be, um, just, Training up green dogs, getting them ready for testing, you know, for agencies to test and the conveyor belt that that is. Yeah. Um, I love training green dogs, but if you guys think that's glamorous, that's the <laughs> least glamorous part of this besides cleaning <laughs> shit is training green dogs. I mean, it's super satisfying and I, I love it. It's usually just me and a dog. Uh, maybe me and one your, other person, but. You get your fucking problem solving schools tested. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this episode is um, this kind of just popped in my head uh, about a month ago, um, and we've talked with our guest about this, you know, privately, and because we're friends and talking to him about it uh, on the phone at different times, um, and it's kind of a um, for for those of us in the know, it's a it's a pretty hotbed hotbed issue, but for those that aren't, they they may actually not even know how deep this actually goes. So um, with us for, I think, maybe the fourth time, third or fourth time is Justin Rigney. Justin, how are you? Doing great, man. I'm blessed, bro. Thank you for having me. How's things in Tennessee going? Man, mad busy. You know, when this whole China virus hit, we uh, took initial lull about a week or 10 days. We had a couple boarding trains scheduled. People got laid off. There was a big panic. So... People withdrew, and then I think what happened with the quarantine, people were stuck home with their dogs that were driving <laughs> fucking insane. Did little, they ask you to, little stimulus did, cheddar came through. Did they ask you to train their kids, <laughs> <that>? too? <laughs> no, but I tell them up front, I got no, no chance. But add a little stimulus cheddar to the pocket, man. They said, come get these dogs, bro. So Mike and I have been blessed, bro. We've had a full kennel for months and waiting lists and no end in sight, man. So we're grateful. 
Oh, so during that whole time, we were also doing a, a, a two two guys for a trainer's course, and then two separate guys for a handler's course. And, and Mike and I had our hands on ten ten dogs each, ten pet dogs. It's it was a long, long day, man. On top of you know managing incoming calls and Mike fields our Google AdWord campaign. I manage our regular website and social media. And uh, bro, it's not easy, you know, producing content and you know staying in contact with a human trying to get their dog trained but it wouldn't change anything for the world man loving it and as we speak I'm, I'm pulling fucking kibble out of my pockets so my wife doesn't wash my shit in her bra smells like royal canaan <laughs> we're, uh, we're good man that's good i actually took your advice and used the royal canaan for uh for when i'm working dogs on food um it's that those big pieces are really nice man it's a nice little uh easy thing. I don't have to give them like 900 pieces. Nah, bro. Like my fat sausage links don't have to handle those little, little pellets that fall through your fingers and it ends up, you know, the dog looking for low lying fruit on the ground, those big nuggets, man. And, and then of course on my release, I'll throw a piece of food and it becomes prey. It's like a little tennis ball flying across the room and they get, they get loaded for it. I find that it's super palatable. Like most dogs really love the taste. Um, I think it's a decent food. It's fucking super overpriced, but it's, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I think the first product, I think the first product is chicken byproducts, which is beaks, feet and assholes, but, um, mm-hmm. parts of the chicken, but it, it, it's, it's good. The dogs do well on it, man. They, you know, as we're going to get into this whole topic, they, they maintain our weight real, real well. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with it, man. I really like that food. I have, you know, as we get through this whole, this podcast, I have other foods that I go to for hard gainers. But as a whole, that's a staple for us, man. It's Royal Canin. It's adult German Shepherd food because Royal Canin's little marketing scheme is breed-specific food, which is bullshit. It's just the shapes change. So, like the bulldog food, like squiggly fucking noodle-looking mm-hmm. thing, and the lab food, I think, has a hole in the middle. But if you look at the, the ingredients, I think it's the same shit. But adult German Shepherd is, gives you that big, giant nugget. Yeah, I just wish they would make a little bit smaller bag because like if I'm took, you know, if I emptied out my kennel and purposely kept it empty for a few weeks, uh, I have like 30 more pounds of food sitting there. You know what I mean? I'd like to try to finish up a bag at the end of a dog, but, um, they don't, you got to buy the big one. So this Mm -hmm. episode, um, we, we're going to talk about food training, food reward, however you, however you call it. Um, I've talked about this a lot in, um, in, on the podcast and different things, how I have changed my training system, how it's evolved three or four different times since I became a, uh, a police dog trainer. And, and of course a, a pet dog trainer, um, where when, when I first started, it was yank and crank because that's what I knew. Um, the system I came up through, uh, when I was a handler was yank and crank, um, choke chain, Jank, jank the dog around the field for, um, I don't know, an hour. <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> a little Carlos for you. Um, jank him around for for an hour and then go over in the corner and play play ball with him for five, ten minutes. And that was, you know, that was the way they did things. And the dogs were always, like, stressful going out on the OB field. They, they'd start yawning as soon as you got out there. Someone would start, like, you know, nervous shaking and things. They hated it. Um, and we thought, I guess that five minutes of play in the corner was, was enough. But, uh, 
So then I started changing to doing everything with a toy and um, a lot more reps. I ended up getting doing like focused heel with a toy, like a sport focused heel, because it was an easy trick to get the guys through certification. Because on certification day, they're nervous and all they got to do is put their fist up by their chest and the dog's locked in and they can blindly walk through the, the uh, you know, the certification scenario. And, um, and then I, but, and I got a lot of good dogs out of it. I, I, I don't belittle that. But for me, I was also finding still, I was spending too much time getting the dog from the ball or the ball from the dog or the toy from the dog. Um, more specifically when it came time to in, integrate the handler in there and their fuckery with toys and dogs and the, you know, the dog spits it out and they, they creep really slowly to pick the toy up, you know, stay, 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 you know, and they're loading the dog up. I'm like, God damn, pick that fucking toy up, man. This is aggravating um, you just listening to it. Oh, I know. Ted <laughs> and I talk about it a lot. So we just, so I was like, even though I'm getting a lot of reps and like, you know, I'm, I'm down to maybe 20 minutes of, of obedience every day. I still think I could, even if I stuck with 20 minutes, which is usually less than that, I could get twice as many reps if I started using food. So I didn't know anything about food reward. Uh, I listened to you talk about it a lot. I listened to um, Michael Nesbeth and just a bunch of other guys. And we start talking to him and, and Pat Nolan. Pat Nolan says, I thought I would never be a food reward, food dog trainer. And here I am using food on everything. Um, he, uh, I didn't think I would be a clicker trainer, and, and we use clickers. Ted uses them. We use marker words, clickers, everything. Um, so I evolved that, and now the handlers are even finding when they come back for their second or third dog that that system is so much nicer and so much easier to, to do. And then, of course, with pet dogs, it's the food is, is the easiest way to do all of it, um, I, I find. So... Um, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the value of food reward, food training, what drives the dog, how they do it. And then the second half of this interview is going to be the thing that really pisses us off about why are trainers still starving dogs? Why do we see these dogs that are going through a school, that are food reward dogs, that are emaciated? Um, I I, I'm blown away by it. I think it's a complete misunderstanding of what the food training is. And, um, and we'll get into it with Justin because I know he's super passionate about it. But um, so to start it off, I, well, before we get into you, Justin, Ted, um, do you use food at all on your stuff? Or are you guys pretty much just toy stuff? Fuck yeah, I use food. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. Especially like when I'm starting out like with young, young, young puppies, I start out with food, right? Um, I start out with food with them and like build a relationship, build mark, build, you know, like when I have time and then I got green dogs and especially ones that are like get spun, you know, they've been raised in Europe and they show up off the fucking plane. And unlike the dog in the video we're talking about, they come out of the crate ready to fucking murder people. Like I got to have a way to control them and introducing a toy with somebody that they don't know. And a dog I don't know is a recipe. Ask me how I know for getting bit. So <laughs> Like, I'll usually, because, I mean, the drive for food is still high. Not like it is for a toy, right? They don't do stupid shit for, they won't bite me for, most of them won't bite me for food. So, like, I'll introduce food with some very simple, like, sit, dickhead type stuff with food. And the amount of, 
I mean, to be honest, I mean, I have, you know, we have anywhere from, you know, eight to 30 police dogs working at any one time. And when I have a ton of dogs working, I don't have the time to build some giant relationship with each dog. And we can talk about that down the road, but like, I got to get them out, work them, me or Travis or Scott or whoever. Right. And they got to work for whoever gets them out. They can't be, so there's a couple that are a little special, but you know, for the most part, I got to do something to get some sort of like, Hey, and I'll use food for that all, all day, every day. And by the time that they're, um, they come for handler school, I tell handlers, I'm like, don't be afraid to hand feed him. <laughs> like you can give him kibble by hand and he will, and, and it works wonders for us because, you know, it's a very kind of like low conflict interaction. Like there's nothing at, well, for the handlers, there's nothing asked. It's like, just don't be an asshole and I'll feed you. And it works wonders because I don't, I don't have dudes trying to muscle dogs around and get ate up. And I mean, it's just the lowest conflict and easiest way to teach or train rather than, you know, move through some like high stress shit and be like, all right, here's some food. And you're like, nah, there, no. So but yeah, I use food all the time for sure. We use food tracking. Uh, you know, I don't use food tracking on some stuff, but I mean, yeah, I use it all the time. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I'll say this though, admittedly, I use food for the obedience on working dog. Since we're working dog radio talk about, I use food for obedience and tracking, um, I have not trained a dog myself for food reward for detection. Um, I got a, a whole load of floppy ear dogs in my kennel all like at the, the week that Ohio shut everything down. Um, and my buddy Jake Scott, we've had Jake on the podcast. He lives about an hour from me and all his business got shut down. So I'm like, hey, man, I got a, a female German short hair pointer. Do you want to put her on explosives, indirect reward? and using food. And he said, yeah. So I just picked her up the other day. So now I do have a food reward explosive detection dog available in my kennel. Um, and I'm not, um, but I didn't te- train her. So I remember um, talking to Nesbeth one time and he said, if the dog, he does everything for food. And if the dog doesn't do it, he just sends them back. So, um, but anyways, enough of us talking. Uh, Justin, I know food is your big thing. You want to talk about like the early where you discovered that and saw the value and how that all integrated into your system? Yeah, for sure, man. And it's a, it's a tool that allows us to really deeply connect with a dog on another level. So like you take obedience for, for example, it's an athletic application, it's movement, it's timing, it's coordination. And to try to do that in a hysterical state of drive with a toy really limits your ability. Now, when you have deep concentration for food, where the dog is a savage for food, but it puts his brain in a much, it's not so much prey aggression or prey acquisition, it's food acquisition, which creates a lot more concentration, still a high level of enthusiasm and ignition, but allows you to have much, for me, more synergistic kind of connection with the dog because he's working for something he needs to, to live. And in, in Nipopo, we call that existential reward. So every calorie he consumes through his foundation training is earned through engagement, wanted behavior, ignition. And it's a system that empowers the dog to manipulate you to reach in the pouch to give them what they need to live. So it's deep. It's not just a scratch on the ass. It's not just a throwing them a tug, which they love, but they don't need it to live. So it's a much different commitment when it's done right, which we'll get into further, I'm sure. So for me, it was probably, and as you're talking, I'm trying to pinpoint times and dates and shit like that, but it was, it was probably around 05, 06 
when I was introduced to food-based training, it always, for me, was always like tracks for snacks or caviar shit. Like the dog would eat for free in its kennel, but we'd use Bill Jack or hot dogs with some dogs. You could, you could turn, you could, we call it dessert training. We'd train for a dessert, even though their gut's full. But some say, you know, give you the finger and say, fuck off. But so around 05, 06, it was like a collision course of some top, top, top trainers. I was really grateful and, and blessed to be able to interact with. So one was Mike Lorraine. He's down in South Florida, in West Palm area incredibly gifted trainer and at that time he was really diving deep into modern training he was working with Ivan Balabanov um, and he had linked up with a guy and a gal who don't really get the recognition I think they deserve some of the top top trainers in this country is Greg Dowd and Bridget Carlson amazing fucking wizards so Greg and Bridget were food only trainers and they explained it to me it's like it makes perfect fucking sense because the animal it's, it may be a Malinois or herder or whatever it may be, but his DNA goes back to a wolf. And why does a wolf fucking wake up in the morning <laughs> to acquire food? I mean, the thing that ignites a wolf to do wolf shit is the hunger pangs. To go hunt, catch, kill, devour, bring back to the pack and, and, and guard his territory. It's, it's Maslow 1. It's food, shelter, water, reproduction. But the, the main instigator of doing wolf shit is those hunger pangs. So... The words that are thrown around are starvation or withholding. That's, that's fucking not true. It's an offering. It's an offering of the food in a different context. But also back in around 06 was the first time I got to meet Bart Bellin. And I'd only had uh, seen him on the shitty old Learbird tapes, you know, the bootleg shit that we had. And when he was doing Belgian ring shit that had us all fucking blown away. It was like from another fucking cosmos, the shit he was doing with dogs back then. So around 06 is when uh, some guys brought him over to West Palm to a buddy of mine's place where I got the first introduction to him live. And for me, you know, I've, I've been very grateful to work with some amazing trainers, but for me, he is dog training messiah. I mean, it's, it's him for me, you know, he's inventing shit that is just mind blowing. But so it was even before it was, it, it was called and, and trademarked as Nipopo. But my first interactions with Bart were fucking mind-blowing, and he explained it to me. And a lot of times we use human examples or working with other animals to really paint a picture about the value. And when we look to marker training, we look to existential food training, the, the creature that we've all known that, that performs this way but kind of never really put our finger on it is the dolphin. And when I was growing up, the shit at SeaWorld, I just thought was Disney magic. I thought you had to be born in a fucking wetsuit and you just knew how to speak flipper and it was on, but it, it's not. And as I've evolved as a trainer and paid attention, it, it's a hostage situation. It's an absolute mindfuck manipulation. And there's a movie out called Blackfish, which is the dark side of all that shit. So, but you look at that, that moment, you look at that, how they connect with a dolphin who in, by nature is like charismatic, he's brilliant, he's energetic, he will engage with humans in the wild to some degree, but he doesn't need them. He's engaging with a human in the ocean because he wants to. He wants to fuck around with your boat. Maybe you can grab his fin. But he would never perform on cue to your whistle and your mackerel in the ocean because he can go feed for himself. He's got a millions of miles of ocean to go hunt, catch, and kill and feed himself, self-reward. And sustain himself but he's also on the food chain not only is he eating shit there's shit that'll eat him too so it's a kill or be kill world which puts him on edge so you take flipper from his natural habitat 
you pull them from the ocean and you dump them into a swimming pool in Orlando at SeaWorld. And now what is the swimming pool? It's this very, very small, confined environment, but it's free of all those things we just talked about. It's free of food. It's free of predators. It's free of prey. There's nothing he can eat. And there's nothing to eat him. So he's hungry as fuck and he's bored shitless. So he's turning and spinning and spinning, looking to meet his needs. He is out as a predator and a survivor to fulfill his, his existence. And that is the food. His hunger pangs are hitting. And he's looking for a way to satisfy that. So here comes the human being. And what are they holding? They're holding a metal five-gallon pail full of mackerel, which is crack cocaine to the crack addict. If the fish could walk up on the shore or on the edge of the pool and smack the shit out of the trainer with his fin and take his bucket, he would, but he can't. He's unable to do that. So it's, he's manipulated and he's a hostage. So they have a sense of smell as well. He smells that food. He smells the bucket, what the trainer has. The trainer comes out to the edge of the pool. The dolphin en en engages with him just slightly, comes in his direction. Now in nature, the whistle that they use as a marker, like we use a clicker or a verbal marker, has no value whatsoever. So how do we create a connection to that whistle? Well, we use the food as the link. So as the dolphin engages just slightly, the trainer toots the whistle, and within one and a half seconds, there's a slight separation. It's not toot and dump the bucket. It's toot, the announcement, one 1,000, boom, here comes the entire bucket. The dolphin eats it like a starved, crazed piranha, chews it up, belly's full, gives the trainer deuces, he's out. Training's over. That's it for the day. One hit wonder. So it happens over and over, day in, day out. Toot, one 1,000, dump, every day same bat time, same bat channel. So what happens over time is a dolphin for us to build up hope and anticipation. There's a relationship. There's an understanding and a deal between the human and the fish. That every day, right on cue, the toot comes, it's the announcement, boom, existential food arrives. So you look at the dolphin and the shit that they do, they're performing in front of thousands of people on cue, triple flips, waving at the crowd, swimming backwards, speaking, you can't put an e-collar on a fucking dolphin. You can't put a prong. You can't put a harness. You can't manipulate it physically and overpower it. So you're connecting its mind through its stomach. And once it's understanding this concept, the, the animal really gets it and understands it. So the one day that the trainer comes out to the edge of the pool and changes the criteria is how they start manipulating the behavior of the animal and creating ignition where the animal is now empowered to make you give it what it wants. And what the trainer does, he comes out to the edge of the pool like he's done every single day, every this relationship has gone on for, for weeks is that he comes to the edge of the pool and does nothing. So the animal starts getting frustrated and starts getting pissed. And in nature, he's not going to go pout in the bottom of the pool like a millennial, not getting his way. So in nature, when you don't give an animal what it wants right away, you have some spontaneous aggression, some frustration builds up and an activation. So maybe the dolphin flings himself backwards. Maybe he makes an audible expression. He may whack the pool with his fin. Any type of activation or ignition or spontaneous behavior, it may not even be something you ask for later, but it's simply the activation gets one toot and one fish. So the dolphin does something, the toot of the whistle comes, and one fish arrives, the dolphin snatches it and says, yo, where's the rest of the bucket? We had a deal, bro. So the same thing happens. No fish comes, he gets pissed, he does something active, toot, fish. Active, toot, fish. And then the dolphin, being brilliant, starts to connect the dots. He says, hey, every time I do something, fuckface hits the whistle, gives, goes in the bucket, and gives me what I need to live. Then he starts being experimental. He starts doing spontaneous shit. And then over time, 
the animal is empowered to manipulate the human to give him, give him what he needs to live. Now, shaping the flips, shaping the waving at the crowd, that's a whole other story. But nothing starts without ignition. And then the connection and the understanding of that the animal is, can manipulate the human for what they want, but it's reverse mind flux because we're actually going to condition the animal's behavior for things that we want. Now, think about how much more interactive you can be with a dog. And, and you can you can put your hands on a dog. You can use tactile communication. You can use um, you know hands on with the animal. They understand that very clearly. And it's a creature that knows body language and gestural communication and and tactile communication very very well. It's how they they communicate with each other. So once you understand that how you can connect with an animal, you, the link to their heart is through their stomach, hundred percent. So it's a little short story about how the, the power in food. Now, back to the dolphin for the one-hit wonder. He does something, toot one fish, does another thing, toot one fish. And let's say the dolphin does something spectacular, gives an amazing effort. Let's say he jumps out of the water for the very first time, toot, and gets everything in the bucket. Boom, jackpot. So in food-based training, we're not communists where you get one widget, one dollar, one widget, one. no matter what you do, it's the same paycheck. We do that in pet training because that creates a little bit of a flat dog where most people can't handle it. But in competition and in police work where you want dynamic behavior, you want fast, you want precision, you want speed, you have, we like to use jackpotting. So the animal becomes a capitalist. He goes, hey, wait a second. When I, do, when I try harder, when I give bigger effort, I get bigger paychecks. It's like that holiday overtime, you know, or detail pay. When it, it's holidays, it's double, two, two and a half. So you're going to go fucking stack up. You're not going to sleep for weeks, man. You're going to go eat that good <laughs> shit because you know it pays better. It's really the same thing for the animal. You know, they're, they're, they're creatures that are hardwired to meet their needs, to find their advantage and better their situation in any, every context of their life. And when they realize they can manipulate you to get things that they need to live, whoa, it's another level of connection. When you said um, earlier about, um, about uh, food, shelter, water, and reproduction, for Ted, Get rid of mm-hmm. reproduction, put Coors Light. That's what you need. You, go. you got him. Yeah. <laughs> we all have our thing. <laughs> right, yeah. He, he don't want no kids, but he'll crack a cold mountain beer. That's for sure. Yes, I will. <laughs> so so there's a debate. Um, I don't know, a debate. There's a, a differing opinions, and we kind of touched on a little bit in the beginning, talking about the Royal Cannon, in um, using their food or using something different, either a different type of food for the training or a quote-unquote treat? Where, where do you fall in this? What's the difference? How, how do you sort that out? So for me, I, I don't like to use caviar or dessert training, high-valued, tasty morsels of shit to, to create behavior. Now, every dog will come around at different times. And there's some that are super that will hold out. We'll, I think we'll talk about that more maybe on the second part of this, but I don't. I use their kibble. I don't like using high. The reason why I want to use their kibble is because I want to make sure they're, they're meeting their needs, getting the sustenance they need. I, want them to, I know I want to hit all, all their macros. I want to make sure they're getting what they need. And, and when you use fucking McDonald's to train with, you shit food. I, I don't like that. I don't like giving them shitty food you know, to, to, to really maintain. Now, it, it kind of depends, too. There's dogs that I have used fucking hot dogs with or I'll wet the oil cannon because they want to fucking chew each kibble like it's the last bubblegum slice on earth. They just sit there chewing mm. and chewing and chewing and they like 
So I'll wet the royal cane and let it soak for an hour or so, and it becomes really soft, and, and, and they can they can kill it. And then these little tiny dogs, like little, little dachshund just went home today. In the beginning, she started with little pieces of hot dogs. It's the same thing. But I don't, for as a whole, I don't like using what we call caviar. So um, for me, what I try to do is, um, and this is probably uh, some people will, will cringe when I say it. I'll, I'll measure out how, so say a dog eats, I don't know, three cups of food a day. Um, that's how much training we're going to do that day. But for me, if I, and we'll get, this will tie into a little bit more after the commercial break, but when I get done with it, if I haven't done the three cups, I give them the rest of it, um, which might be counterproductive in some people's minds, but I have success. I don't, I haven't had any issues with it. Um, so uh, if, if people haven't watched your, your social media, there's, um, you talked about using the food for your release and the prey that it, that it, um, that it does to the dogs. Talk about that a little bit, how, how you incorporate that, that into your system. So, uh, you know, as, as a rule of thumb, I don't name behaviors until the dog's doing it. I can predict it. And then as they do it, I classically condition it with the name of the behavior. So, but one of the behaviors that I'll, I'll early on tag with a name when it's fairly predictable is that when the dog is trying to really just smash his face into your food pouch and he's being rude about it and he's all about this work is that I'll take the piece of food, put it to his nose like I was about to lure him and then I'll chuck it, you know, out in front of me and it'll roll 10, 15 feet and he'll go chase it. I mean, some of these dogs will harpoon themselves <laughs> into the ground because it becomes so exciting. And then cause I train in a very small environment in the beginning. I'm in a Skinner box where it's, it, again, it's just like the dolphin in the pool squeezes his options. You can't go roaming around. I'm in my little shed, which is 10 by 20. And so as the dog, the food rolls to the end of the shed, he snatches it. And then he comes back flying to me to repeat, to do the games over again, to go back in the pouch. So when he comes to me, I mark and I give him four or five kibbles. I always have a higher value reward coming to me than leaving me. But then again, after, they, after they've marked for coming back, eat the handful. I always remain, have one piece of kibble remaining in my hand that they didn't get. It becomes like the rabbit in the hole, a little bit of a mystery. Hey, where's that rabbit? He starts skull fucking my hand to get that thing open. And then boom, as I say three, boom, I chuck the piece of food ahead of me. And then when I see the dog in a rhythm that he's grabbing the food that's thrown and then flying back to me, that's when I'll plug in the dog's recall word, whether it's his name or come or here, whatever it may be. Because I know it's a high percentage shot. I can really predict that he's going to do that because I can see the enthusiasm in the animal. And that, that becomes a big moment. And then there's also a part in training where you're doing reps. And we've all seen it. Like we're doing, we're trying to rep downs. We're plugging like five, ten reps. And all of a sudden the dog's killing it. And by like rep nine, eight, nine, he's like, fuck this. <laughs> he gets up and does whatever the fuck. He may, he may do a quick lap around the room and come right back, but they need a mental reset. So... I try to do the mental reset before they get, I don't want to put checking out in their database. So when I'm starting to read the animal to say, okay, we're getting more about four or five reps, six reps in, I'm going to release him with a thrown piece of food, give him that outlet, boom, release him and pray. He snatches the food, comes flying back to me, fresh in the mind, ready to do more reps. Then we can chip away at four or five more reps and then repeat. So back, Eric, what you're saying, I do the same shit. Like if he needs his calories, he gets it. But what I do I'll do a mini jackpot like in the training, but I also feed them back in their crate or their kennel because simultaneously I'm building a, a high desire to be in their crates because we're crate training a puppy or a dog that needs that for the client. 
but also create a lot of drive for the kennel. It, it, we try not to make this happen, but if a fucking dog gets loose, guess where they go flying? Hmm. Go back in their kennel looking for the good shit. So, but also I use kennels for recall work too. So I'll, I'll push the dog away from me, like using it for like place, go to your kennel, then also call them back. So part of my philosophy of a mini jackpot in the kennel is to create a high desire to get in there. Excellent. Yeah. One of my early, early mentors, like a long time ago, uh, when I first got introduced to food training, um, she told me not to name it until you love it. And that's always yep. stuck with me. There was a, um, there was a litter of puppies I did like three or four years ago or so. And most of them ended up going to pet homes. Um, the other half kind of went to single purpose detection and I did all of them on food, right? I worked like all nine or 10 or however many of there were those little shitheads and every day for months and with my headphones on. So I could even hear the dog. Um, and I didn't talk to them right. at all and they were doing the same shit, like teaching them how to do place and, you know, all kinds of stuff through body language and through commands and or, I mean through hand, not like, like dedicated hand signals, but I would just wait for them to offer stuff and then. They were getting marked and whatever else. So the ones I sold as green, I didn't sell any of those as finished, but I sold them as green dogs. And every single one of them that went as green, uh, the trainers would call me back and be like, holy fuck, these are like the easiest dogs in the world to train. I'm like, yeah. Why is that, by the way? They're like, they just literally sit there and look at me and wait for me to tell them to do something. I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. It's like, must be genetic. I'm like, yeah, probably. Sure. That's exactly yeah, what right. it is. You know what? <laughs> That's exactly you know what, what it is, is fuck face. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know it's, when it's the dog's idea man it's the fucking gospel yeah and they think they invented something that they'll fight for their invention oh i 100 percent agree we uh where am i at yeah that's about that time we're gonna take a break real quick um don't fast forward to the commercials when we come back we're gonna talk about planning and withholding or not withholding and not fucking starving so uh yeah we'll be back hold on and Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for Everything dog. One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, aka Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning, so hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs and hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. 
Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term <laughs> to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it, too. So it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quick Term is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start horizon structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land boom new kennels and these things are amazing you've got to see them to truly believe them their website horizonstructures.com is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio. Hope you enjoyed the commercials. Um, we got some uh, discount codes in there. Hey, did you know, Ted, I just saw, um, got a thing in the email, you probably did too, that uh, Dogtra is adding uh, fit those um, uh, wings to their repertoire finally. Like oh, some yeah. of the other collars have for yeah, like yeah. the long hair dogs. Yep. Um, and they're designed to fit their style of uh, 1900s and art collar. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so we're talking about food reward training. Here's the funny thing. Since we're working dog radio and we have a lot of listeners that are um, police dog guys. So they're listening to Justin talk and, and you hear him say clients and this dog and that dog. And they're like, there's still this myth i guess among many training myths in in police dog world that um you shouldn't use it's like you're a pussy or something if you're using um food with police dogs that you shouldn't be using food with police dogs they need they need something else they need a tug or a ball or kong or whatever um and i showed so on our patreon working dog radio we have a patreon account i put up a video on there with five brand new um dogs that I got in my kennel, pointy and floppy ear. And the beginning of training with me, I just set my phone up at the fun house. And all I did was throw a piece of food, dog comes back, gets another one, throw a piece of food, comes back, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then I start, will start adding pressure. This is where some of you police dogs might understand this leash and a prong pressure and they turn towards me, then I could mark the behavior, name it, give them a reward, throw a piece of food out. They go back and forth. And in the five minutes per dog, I did like 50 recalls. 
And so to tell me that it's not valuable for police dogs, um, uh, and even when I didn't use food, I didn't poo-poo it. I just didn't know what to do. So uh, it does have a ton of value, uh, so much less conflict. And a lot of you guys, hate to say it, do not know how to teach a dog without conflict. You're really poor at it. We see it every time we go to HRD. And, um, you know, we, we, we see it a lot, a, a lot. Um, the guy shows up and all he's wearing is a choke chain. I know what we're in for. So, um, <laughs> anyways, for you guys then to, to say that it's not for police dogs, you're, you're actually just incorrect. Um, so the, the one part I really want to get into, and this is what triggered it for me was, um, and he might be listening. Uh, I had, I had a guy that I know he's a good dude. He's a, a dog trainer for an agency. Um, he had a lab that he failed and, um, I was going to the vendor for something else and he asked if I would deliver and bring a dog back and their food reward only dogs, the way they work. And I, I personally thought that the dog was emaciated when I got him back. And, um, the vendor was furious at the condition of the dog when he got him. Um, this is something that, that has been, I've seen it everywhere. Um, that, that does food only training. I don't know where it started with the actual starving of dogs. In my opinion, it's led to court cases. It's led to all kinds of things and, and big debates and fighting. Um, most guys that do that, it's, they're real like secretive about it. There's no way they can't know that that dog looks like shit. Um, and what, what they're doing is, is incorrect. So this is really what I want to get into you with Justin is like from your knowledge base, where does this come from? What's the philosophy behind it and how are they doing it incorrectly? You know, that fucking game you play at a party where you got like 10 people in a row and then the first fucker tells a fucker next to him, like a, a one sentence, like blah, 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 blah. And by the time it gets to the 10th person, it's completely fucking mutated and a whole different story. I think what happens is in, in police work, especially bro, it's, it's arrogance and it's incompetence and, and not having the courage to ask, like they just think they have to be born with this knowledge. So they hear parts of the story and they, they don't get the full how is and why's and, and the deep understanding of how to connect with an animal who's got a much different brain than a human being. But then they, they, this, they install a system that they think they know or they've mutated and it's completely fucked up, man. So it, it, it's part, of the, part of the answer is I don't fucking know, man. But I believe that a lot of people get into dogs, whether it's civilian-based or it's law enforcement, because their inability to communicate and cohabitate with human beings in social settings. <laughs> so they, they fucking insta instill their will or their manipulation or their fucking dysfunction into an animal who can't speak back, fight back, resist. And no matter how fucked up you are, they need you to survive. So I, I think that's part of that, that element. And to me, how you can see a dog fucking looks like a zebra with all his ribs fucking striped and protruding and hips protruding. And you can count every fucking vertebrae and still call yourself a fucking human being and, and, or wearing a fucking badge and upholding the law to me is, is fucking mind blowing, man. So it, it's arrogance, it's incompetence, it's fucking stupidity and, and not having the balls to fucking put on the brakes and ask for help. And you just, it, it's mind blowing, man. It's fucking mind blowing. And, and for me, it's not every dog is made, made for every system. So if your dog is not engaging for fucking food, right. And you, 
you're giving him opportunities, not coming around, and he's fucking withering away, you fucking idiot. Change the fucking system or change the dog that's going to meet your system. Like, they, they get to these points where they're hanging on so long and going week after week after week in these, in these academies, and they can't tell their administration, look, we're, we're two months into this, and we got to wash this fucking dog. That, it, it's, it's just insanity to me, man. It's absolutely insane. So what is the food-only philosophy? Like, not just the training, but the dogs. Like, I think the ATF uses a bunch of them, and there's uh, places like that that have uh, arson dogs or, or bomb dogs that are food-only for work and food-only for training. Um, what What is that philosophy, and what are the pitfalls of it? So for me, the food-based training is foundational teaching the dog foundation behaviors. And I like to transition to a toy as soon as I can. Now, if you have an animal that doesn't accept a toy, doesn't want a toy, but has all the hunt and the drive for detection, that's no problem. But in, when, in law enforcement, if you're in a situation where you're getting called out, it's very difficult to live on that system because we, we were spoiled. We had dogs 24-7. We had a shit ton of dogs. And I never got called out once in my career, but we had we had a, a guy that handled, we had a couple bloodhounds and a, and a German shorthead pointer that was just tracking only and detection. So they weren't bite dogs. They were just missing kids, you know, you know, old, old elderly people that walked away. So just tracking. So what those dogs would do, and if they were trained on a food-based system, let's say the radio was quiet, you know, half an hour before they go home, they lay a quick little daddy track or, you know, pull somebody off the road around the track and pan with food at the end. Their gut's full. They're satisfied. They go home, take their shit off, get in the bed, and boom, there's a phone call. You get called out. Now, if the dog has the drive to continue to work with a full gut, which most don't, you run the, you run the, the risk of bloat or torsion as the dog is actively tracking and his, his stomach is swinging like a hammock back and forth, and it, it, it runs into a huge, huge problem. Now, if you're on a, a strict schedule, like you have to go search, you know, FedEx from nine to five, then you can piecemeal it out and work the dog. And, you know, 445, you can set up a couple of hides and, and pay the dog. That's possible. So it kind of depends on the dog's application. You for sure can live on a food-based system. But for me in my world, what I always did, and my pet dogs don't go home eating snacks and treats and training. They're, they're proofed, they're working, and, and reward can come in many phases. And for the, the owner, it's the, the pack interaction. It's verbal and physical praise. So there's no food, and I always tell them they can absolutely use food in their training, but it's how it's distributed is very important. So the dog is commanded. He does the behavior for whatever duration you want. The dog's released, and then he gets paid. So it's a paycheck for a job well done. It's not bait and a bribe. A little bit different. So, But for me, I always would use food to train, get my thousands and thousands of reps to chip away at muscle memory, for myelination to occur, for the animal to really be empowered to understand it. And then once the dog gets it, then I transition to the toy. I mean, that's how I always like to do it. What I find to be one of the biggest mistakes or, or, or I would say um, pitfalls or whatever of the, uh, of the food only system is the dogs that uh, are supposedly are never allowed to be fed ever out of a bowl or anything ever and that the only way they're allowed to eat is working. So the handler then is expected to set out hides on his days off. And um, I don't know what the fuck you do if you go on vacation. I have no idea. But uh, they're, they're supposed to 
set out hides in their house or wherever the hell it is on a Saturday and Sunday or whatever their days off are. And Yorks, you really, really, truly believe that the handlers are doing that? Um, I know, obviously, some of them are. They really care and they're really diligent. But how many fucking hides can you put in your living room, uh, you know, or in your basement or in your garage? Every day, you really think that you're going to be giving that, your handlers giving that dog enough food over the weekend to not look ridiculously skinny and not start starving. I, I just, I think you're putting too much, um, you're relying too much on guys that like downtime to, to not have downtime, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it can be super simple, bro. It can be st- having a target odor in a mason jar, you know, the bowl of food in one hand, mason jar of odor in the other, stick your nose in it, hold it, mark, here's your whole bowl and jackpot. It, it doesn't have to be 15 hides, cars. It, it could be a one-hit wonder, man. You could fucking throw a hide out, you know, an open area. Or it's, it put a fucking Q-tip out in, in your, your fucking gravel, you know. It could be so simple. It, 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 it really is if you just think about it and if the dog had to live that way. But the problem is, like, so I tagged you in a post. There was a memory. It was a couple of days ago. It was a Doberman. I don't know if you saw it, man. It was a memory that came up. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, I think. Cause one, yeah, it was a few. It was one of the first few dogs I trained here. The Doberman came in, wound the fuck up, bro. Nerve bag, rail skinny, barely ate at home. And, and, and we talked a little bit about pressure during the break. Like pressure can be an absolutely magical thing. I'm kind of spider webbing topics here. So what does dog, you think about the animal's nervous system, right? They're, they're fired up. They're in flight. They come into a new program. We see it a lot in the pet dogs. We have dogs that come in that are neurotic in kennels that just, the kennel creates a neurosis in the animal. And it's just because you take them out, he doesn't switch gears back into normalcy. So their system is fired the fuck up. Right. So whether it's pet dog or police dog, that the, the police dog may be more in flight or the pet dog may be more in flight. But we'll use the pet dog as an example. An animal that's that nervous system is fired up because it doesn't know where it is, doesn't know how to meet its needs. It's got no connection with a human. Everything's fucked up. So they're in flight. Well, the, again, I use another animal as an analogy. You look at an elk who's chilling in Yellowstone, munching away at the luscious grass on the earth. All of a sudden, fucking homeboy wolf picks, peeks his head up over the horizon, and then it's off to the races. So the elk is on the run from the wolf who wants to eat him. The elk, elk is not thinking about the lush green grass under his hoofs as he's running for his life. So in flight, the nervous system switches gears, shuts off hunger, and all that, that blood flow is utilized in survival, not for digestion. And then when things go back to normalcy, that, that balances back out. So what happens when dogs aren't taking food right away and you're going on a couple of days i like to use a slip lead and place and just use slight leash pressure to to get the dog to put one paw on place the foot arrives on the board immediately release the pressure just verbal praise at that point and then once you occupy the dog's brain with a little bit of you have to you must it removes the option of flight like if you're trying to free shape and he's roaming around the room to give a fuck about you and your pouch and food, a little bit of pressure where you must settle the brain, puts the dog out of flight. He's now mapped maybe a little bit of freeze, but now he's saying, fuck, those options are decreased or eliminated. And all of a sudden it's crazy, bro. The hunger fucking reawakens. And he may not be a rock star chow hound, but you can get to the level where he is teachable for, for some basic behaviors, police dog or not. And the biggest problem I see 
with police dogs is that we try to administer food or distribute food in an environment that the animal associates with prey aggression. For example, you do your, your, your towels or your thrown toys for hunting in, in a room and you bring him in there expecting to eat or he's in hunt. He wants to go acquire prey and bite, put his mouth on shit, and he's still not into your system because he's eaten for free for the first year of his fucking life. And they don't get it because the context in his brain says, go fucking hunt, be on the prowl, look for shit to put your teeth into. So you have to, sometimes I have guys take their fucking equipment off, go into a fucking place, find a, a, a fucking storage unit or some shit that we can use that means nothing to the animal. And then that context will awaken the dog. Or if the if the guy's it's still the dog is on the fucking prowl <laughs> the whole time he's in the back of the car, I have him charge the clicker at home and they're fucking flip flops and shorts. So you know I kind of like I said I spiderweb on some shit but things pop into my brain I want to share but you know it, it, that dogs that live on food they can absolutely fucking just set up a little stupid hide to make that work you know and if and if. <laughs> If you're the dumb fuck that is withholding food because you're a lazy prick because you'd rather not put out the hides, you don't feed that motherfucker, you should be behind fucking bars. I, I don't know if this is true or if this is just one of these wives' tales, but I have heard there are programs that have food reward dogs and they tell the handlers, do not feed them on their time off. Uh, is that anything you've ever heard? No, but in the same breath, I do believe in fasting. I do it myself. There's all kinds of studies done um, the rejuvenation of cells or hormonal reset, your, your, your digestive system allowing to <laughs> regroup, detoxing your liver, your kidneys. So th there, there's a lot of science behind fasting, and I, I do it daily. I do intermittent fasting. And the dogs metabolize much different than us. So a dog missing a day of food, they don't fucking know the difference. Like they don't understand time. They're looking to have their needs met. And they, again, they metabolize way, way different than we do. So they may be saying it, the dog don't feed the dog in it's time off. Now, if we're talking like a fucking week, you're a piece of shit. Now, if you're talking a day, no problem. I, I routinely will fast my dogs once a week. And again, it's a hormonal reset. I do the same shit for myself. There's, like I said, there's tons and tons of studies on the benefits of fasting. And if you think a wolf eats every day? Fuck no, you don't. No. So I think it speaks to the dog. But if you're just if you're just being a, a dumb fuck, if you're being an admin douche and just if laying out these orders and you don't understand why or when or what how, that's fucking idiotic, man. It's fucking stupid. If you're advising a, a, a group of trainers that because um, we do have trainers that listen that are new or people that are new into getting into it, will be listening to like, OK, I'll be interested in it. At, when is it that you decide food ain't for this dog food training isn't for this dog. And we got to, we got to move on to something else. It depends on what your other behaviors that you're seeing. If you, if he's animated, bro, he's an environmental fucking mountain goat. He's climbing on shit. He's about it. He's biting. He's retrieving. He's doing all these, you know, it's not a fucking fear based thing. He's just not a food dog. You can give it time. You can, you can give it some time to offer. But for me, man, I, I can't put a number on it. You know, because I've had dogs that I've tried to fucking feed for two weeks and they won't fucking take it. They don't lose an ounce. They don't give a fuck. They go into this living hibernation, this hibernating awakened state. Like they're functioning, no problem. Mm. They're drinking, no fucking problem. And they don't lose a fucking ounce. They don't, they give you the bird. You deliver caviar. You deliver fucking surf and turf. 
for free. And they give you the fucking bird. They say, you're not my person. Fuck off. I don't, I don't want your shit. So again, that's when I, I go to a little bit of the pressure, leash pressure. And I'm, I'm talking about fingertip pressure. I'm not talking about yank and crank. I'm just talking about a little bit. Hey, you must pal. Um, and that can awaken the hunger. And then there's also a, a, a supplement that I use to bridge the gap. It's a MVP canine supplements, formula mass weight gainer. It is fucking power packed with calories. It tastes like crack to the dogs and I use it as their hydration. So I'll, I'll put it, it's a powder. I put it in a, a protein bottle shake, like I'm going to the gym and I'll give it to them in their water. So it's their hydration. So what happens is if anybody's into fitness or anything, you go to the gym, you hit shit up and you, you drink that protein shake. But so it gives you the, the, the vital nutrients you need, not only for sustenance, but to grow and to repair motherfucker you are hungry right after it like for me i get about a half an hour out of a protein shake maybe an hour before i'm looking to fucking kill somebody so it's the same uh, for the yeah. dog <laughs> for sure bro so you work them out you bite bite work fucking if you're tracking for bites or whatever the fuck put them on a mill gas them the fuck out hook them up make sure they're burning calories and this supplement bro it, it fucking packs uh it'll maintain weight but it will not satisfy the hunger for long so that's the bridge. That's the little secret sauce. If you're going on several days and this fucker ain't getting it and you don't want them withering away, that's the secret sauce, man, for us. Say we've got some dudes listening that, you know, or maybe on their second dog or they're on their first dog and they're, you know, four to five years in, dog six, seven years old, and they haven't done this before, right? Like feeding has been like, you know, straight up just – go through it you know in after the shift and dog eats and then you know he shits and whatever else mm-hmm. so and you know those are a lot of times are sometimes are dudes that um mean well and may have um a little bit of behavioral issues guys that have problems with outs guys that have lots of conflict guys that you know dogs don't like obedience whatever else so what are some like simple shit that dudes can do for that are in those positions. I mean, we had a guy um, in one of our most recent HRDs that had handled a bunch of dogs and whatever else, and you know, we showed him like I some some a couple of things. He was like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be like this is easy to do." And I can go back to the training group and I can show him how to do this and I can show him how to do that and I can do this and that. And man, this is great type stuff. So, what's something easy that they can start doing? Charge the clicker. Yeah. You have to have a clear marking system. Everybody's marker training, they just don't know it. You know, whether it's gestural, verbal. So the charging the clicker for me, because your voice could be giving dirty words to the dog. So especially if there's conflict, when you say out, it means in, it means fight me. You say down, it means fuck off, make me. So the clicker is impersonal. You know, you know, you got a bad day at the office, you're scrapping with the old lady. Verbal markers and, and verbalization carries emotion, which can be good or bad. You can supercharge a dog with emotion, absolutely. But for me, when you're trying to reboot a system or start a new one, absolutely charge the clicker. Because especially if you're working in an environment where you have other trainers, trainers can mark behaviors that you don't see as a handler. And that dog, you can communicate to the dog, well, you did it, but fuckface missed it. So that's A number one. And let's say you're just busy as fuck. You don't, you don't have time. You're interested in this shit. Or maybe you're just a little bit of a fucking caveman and you want to tinker with shit. So... Most dudes will feed their dogs in the kennel and the dog has, is, is brilliant and has absolutely linked the dots together about that whole scenario. So he hears you making the fucking food. He knows what time it is. He runs through his fucking kennel. It's, it's, you have predictable behaviors. And then with classical conditioning, you can simply 
click the clicker, and within one and a half seconds, remember the dolphin story, there's a short delay, deliver the food, jackpot, one hit wonder, boom. So you're supercharging the clicker, you know, right away. You're giving big, big value. You're linking that noise to the dog's paycheck. It's food. It's, a, it's an incredible moment that you can capture. And that's just simple. Click, dump the ball. Click, dump the ball. And then what you can do is, is train in a very similar environment where the dog has hope and anticipation, but maybe fucking don't let him in the kennel. The dude fucking scratches or barks or sits or downs or offers some spontaneous behavior. Maybe he looks to you and says, fuck face, open the door. Click, open the door, deliver the food. So you can start creating, just capturing spontaneous behavior with a clicker. And, and there's so much power in classical conditioning that you can sit there and just fucking tinker with. And that, you know, I forget if we were live or we we're bullshitting on the break, but we talked about yank and crank. Man, it was fucking time to... In, in dogs, it wasn't fun for me anymore, man. It was it sucked fighting with the fucking dogs all the time. They hated it. I hated it. it sucked. But then when we can capture their minds with food and they you empower the animal to want to do shit, to do sit downs, and he he, he likes it. He, he we talked about it earlier. They'll fight for their own invention when they think it's their idea. It's the gospel. So you can simply just plug in shit into your normal routine. Even if the dog loves to get into his fucking kennel to go to work, he flies into the kennel, you click, boom, pan with his food outside the kennel. And then he starts flying into the kennel. Just stupid little spontaneous behaviors. The dog does goofy shit. You want to capture it and give it a name. Click in the middle of it. So you can have a lot of fun with this shit. You know, it just it depends if you want to do it. And so many dogs are made at home. You know, <laughs> it's like I said about the context of the dog being on the prowl while he's at work. Sometimes you're not going to connect with their gut during a different gear you got to do this shit at home um you know what do you define as bonding and because i mean we all three of us here know that dogs are fucking selfish animals they will work for in fact we do a scenario at hrd that proves that and and there's another couple scenarios today with my handlers and i'm like your dog will absolutely bite you <laughs> in this scenario if you're not if he's not shown like he will fucking bite you and you know, there's this misconception, dogs love me, and this, that, and the other, and I think when people talk about bonding, like, that's the, the, the misconception, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, the dog's getting to like me, I, I've got, my dog, my personal dog doesn't even like me, he's 10, so, <laughs> like, I raised his ass, he, he deals with me because he fucking has to, so, and, and given his own devices, he would be like, nah, I'm good, like and I my that female I got from Kindle's the same way hype God bless she's she's not a fan of mine although I have all the cool shit I've got all the food and I've got all the toys so she interacts with me because she has to so you know what is uh like when you deliver a dog um for quote unquote bonding like what does that look like to you so I I actually in, in Eric's post I I spit out my definition man and I, and what I said is how I define bonding is an unknown duration of time in which a dog has joined up with a new handler a new family or whatever it may be it's in a new environment and it's, and it's doing the math it's seeing who's who it's evaluating the whole environment and determining determining who and how it's going to meet its its advantage and find its advantage and meet its needs so it goes back to Maslow one and I I broke my wife's heart. You know, she had the Frenchies when we first met and I explained this to her. I said, a, a dog does not do things to make the human feel good. The dog is absolutely doing things to fulfill their predatory natural instincts and their drives. They are 100% out to meet their needs first. 
So they're trying to figure out where is my food coming from? Who am I going to connect with as a human? Because God designed these creatures to, to, to want to be in packs, right, with people and with, with other animals, some of them, with the different degrees with every dog. But just simply, they're, they're going through the math and analyzing their environment, who's what, who's in the hierarchy, how they're going to meet their needs. They're a narcissistic creature. And I tell this to my pet people all the time. I tell it to my canine guys. I said, every single behavior a dog does 24-7 has a very specific purpose and a reason. Humans are liars. Humans are full of shit. Humans daydream. Humans get on social media with fake profiles. And, and fake fucking pictures and say dumb shit they don't mean. Like, dogs do not do that. They are not fucking liars. Even when they're fucking sleeping, it's got a purpose. But everything that they do has a reason behind it, and what they're trying to do is better their situation and find their advantage every single moment of the fucking day. And it's, and it's they're constantly keeping analysis, they're keeping math, and keeping score of who's doing what in their pack. They are hypervigilant about monitoring things in their environment they're a survivor they're not a bullshit human coasting through fucking life so even even the weak fucking wolves who will never never breed who will never ever be the fucking boss mac mac fucking wolf right he'll always be the little bitch well when fucking big boy's out hunting he's trying to sneak a breeding right he's trying to sneak some low-lying fruit but he, he knows when the boss man's back and he's back into his fucking you know mailroom employee status so they're, they're hyper-vigilant about what's happening in their environment constantly. So this bonding period, this process is them doing just that, is meeting Maslow 1, how that's going to happen. Who's the human that's going to give me the shit that I need? And it's a, it's a very, very important time. And, and dogs that have rehomed several times, I found it get harder and harder and harder. I, I posted a picture that came up with a memory that a dog that I, I ended up putting a, a Schutz and Three title on, I got him out of a junkyard. And I was the fucking, and he was four years old, three years old when I got my hands on him. I was the fucking tense owner that I knew of. He's a douche. He wasn't a tough dog. He was a nerve bag. He was a, he was a, he was a all tents and purposes, not a really good dog. Taught me so much, but he had been fucking passed around. It took that fucker a year and a half to believe that he was my dog. He was that foster kid that thought he was getting fucking bounced. So it, it, to every, it's varying degrees. Now, like I had a dog, I had three dogs in my career. My second dog was an all-black shepherd named Bosco. That motherfucker was my day, my dog first day. Just a whore. A whore looking to meet his needs. Happy whore. <laughs> you scratch my ass, I'm down with you. I mean, I, I had a yard that was fenced. He was 100 yards away. I'd whistle. He'd come fucking flying the first day. Like, humans mattered. Humans had value. And it was just his genetic blueprint, man, or, or his experience. So that, that, that bonding process is varying degree with every single dog. But we have that argument, too. There's always people that believe the dog will stick his nose on the pavement in August in South Florida to find a fucking bad guy to make daddy happy. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Bullshit. Uh, no. <laughs> he doesn't need... He, especially fucking tracking... You don't need your ass there. Yeah. <laughs> like, just stand back. He'll tell you when he finds him. <laughs> he don't give a fuck about you. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, dude, I, I yell that all the time. God damn it. That's one. And Eric and I, the tracking is one of those things too that we, that is one of those that it's not in a, uh, if it's not an innate, I mean, it's innate for them to track, but it's not innate for them to track the way that we want them to and do the things that we want. 
And Handler's like, oh, yeah, they do it because they like me. I'm like, no, because they want to go bite that motherfucker. That's why they're <laughs> looking for him. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit about you. You're there for the brake. <laughs> You're there as a fucking gas yeah. pedal or a brake pedal. That is your job. Oh, God. Yes, 100%. So um, where can we find you? So people don't have to go back and look. Find, find me on Instagram, man. I'm trying to fucking move that needle. <laughs> it's not easy, man. I'm... I'm researching and finding out. So, uh, at K nine services unlimited, that's letter K number nine services unlimited. Um, also Facebook, same way. K nine service unlimited. I have personal pages on both platforms as well, but we'd be very grateful if you hit that fucking follow on Instagram, man. That's where we're really trying to, to build. Excellent. Um, so, and then, if you're old school or you have an admin that's a bunch of shit bags that don't want you to have it, social media, you're on the normal web, the interwebs, the Al Gore interwebs at where? <laughs> yep. Canine services, unlimited.com. We're also, uh, Knoxville dog training.com and dog training, Knoxville.com. Um, there we, had, we do have a YouTube channel that I'm, I'm fucking behind on. I haven't uploaded a shit to there. I, I it really, it's mentally consuming <laughs> trying to, because I'm, I'm not a computer tech guy at all. So, but that, those are the, spots. isn't that what Mike Lilly is for? Isn't that why you have <laughs> yeah. Mike? Isn't that why Mike? Yeah. What'd you go? That motherfucker. Nah, he's like, that motherfucker is a wizard with a tractor. We're both idiots with computers. <laughs> wizard oh. with a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, brother, dude, he's a wizard, bro. He's skilled. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, we got, uh, Eric, when's, what do we got? We got, uh, Lancaster when this publishes about, it'll be over anyway. We're doing an HRD in, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a decoy one, not an actual HRD. Yeah. A decoy one. Yeah. And then the first Our next decoy, HRD, I think is Louisiana. Yes. Little Rock, or I mean, New Orleans, not Little Rock. It's in fucking Arkansas. Uh, New Orleans. Yeah. Just outside of New Orleans. Um, we, I think it's the seventh through the ninth, if I remember right. That's a Monday, October, Wednesday. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 7th to the 9th. So by the time this pops up, maybe it's the 5th to the 7th, either 5th to the 7th or 7th to the 9th. Um, but yeah, so Justin, it's been awesome as usual. And, uh, man, we super appreciate it. I appreciate it. You mind if I plug a seminar or two quick? No shit. Yeah, Do go it. ahead. And then we'll fucking put it in the show notes too. Or, or plug an organization as a whole, man. So the, yeah. just an absolute, angel of a woman named debbie johnson who is oh, who founded canines united yes yeah we know that <laughs> canines united it is a, uh, a non-profit organization that raises funds for canine units in need whether it's equipment whether it's it's vehicles inserts dogs training we are having a, a big big workshop me uh, jay nix mike nesbeth carlos ramirez and my partner mike lilly will be in florida um, Stark at Camp Blanding, which is an army base. I haven't been there, but I heard it's its own fucking city. It's like a mock city to train in. It's October 26th to the 28th. Working spots filled up immediately. There's there's going to be 60 working teams, but there's, uh, I believe, unlimited on audits, and they're feeding you. They're housing you for free. It's absolutely 100% free, and this is all the brainchild of Debbie Johnson, what she's trying to put together. So hit up Jay Nix. Um, go to Canines United site for that, or hit J at caninesunited.org. It's letter K number nine, S United, caninesunited.org. Um, I got a couple personal things. You can find that on the web, but uh, I'm actually heading out to the West Coast. I'm linking up with a guy, a civilian guy who's a brilliant trainer named Oscar Mora. So I'll be oh, yeah. teaching in Los Angeles. Uh, He's a damn good fucking decoy. Yeah, the, He's a Mondio guy. Yeah. <sighs> 
Yeah, fucking was. I, he called me. He's like, hey, I want to bring you on. I said, uh, the fuck am I going to teach you? Yeah, no, but, he's um, a, yeah, he's, no, so he's that, a good that, kid. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, incredible, man. So I've, I've had some contacts with uh, some of the Spectrum Canine guys in the past about linking up, so maybe we can catch up with them too. But it, it's going to be January 30th and um, 31st out there in Los Angeles area. Pomona, Pomona, California, I believe it is. Pomona, yeah. But that's it, man. So, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity, man. I always try to pay it forward when I can and, and maybe spit some information of things that I've witnessed. And I love what you guys do. And you, you guys have are paying a huge benefit to the entire community, man. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. Well, that's why we started. Thanks, so, yeah, we appreciate it. Faux show. So, uh, yeah. Um, hopefully we'll see everybody down in Louisiana that's going to be there. And then uh, we'll catch up to everybody else. So, guys, thanks a lot. It was a great episode. All right, thanks. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His, dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three Sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for ex the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot -E net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.